Hi, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Simi Lerner. This week's discussion is actually going to be quite painful. I mean, painful from the point of view of a missed opportunity. In this day and age, we think we're being very modern in how we bring up our children. A recognition that not all children are the same. That moving away from the cookie-cutter way of looking at the world. And this is sort of a moral development we've had in education. But it's painful to see an individual over 200 years ago making this very same plea, but not in abstraction, but on the back of our most sacred texts. The Torah, which gives direction to the Jewish people. The messages laden within it were a calling to parents. Mistakes and errors that were made that Rehersh pleads that we don't repeat. We're really going to be building off two ideas that we had over the past two weeks. Two weeks ago, in our podcast, we discussed the necessity of approaching the great men and women of old as human beings, not deifying them, because when you deify them, you lose the ability. You drain all lessons that can be learned, because if someone's divine or if someone's perfect, you don't learn from them, because anything they do has to be interpreted as the correct thing, and all good is just a necessary result of their divine attributes thereby once again completely useless by way of example. So, that was our first idea, and then last week we spoke about education. This week we're going to draw those two ideas together. Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch draws our attention to the lives of Yitzchak and Rivka, two parents who had two children, two parents who had very different upbringings. Yitzchak was brought up in the house of Avram, in the house of Abraham, the house that was developing his son, to go on this Jewish mission, and Rivka was brought up in the house of Besuel. And as the stories that we hear from last week, that was a house embedded in trickery and dishonesty. So you have two parents, vastly different upbringings, have two children. One we know as Esau, and one we know as Yaakov. And when these two children come into the world, it is quite clear that they are very different. And the Jewish tradition, how it looks at this event, you can imagine it would take the approach of, well, they clearly were so different, their natural tendency drew them in opposite directions, and that's the end of it. Nice way of sort of brushing responsibility under the carpet. They were different. What were the parents supposed to do? And we can see echoes of this in our own lives. How often have you heard from an educator or a parent of his, just his nature wasn't in it? It was his nature to take him in this direction. He had a characteristic that just didn't fit. But that's not the approach the Jewish tradition has taken. The sages of the Talmud, the oral law, adds in a perspective to this story and says, yes, their natures were different. But over 2,000 years ago, the Jewish tradition said it wasn't only their nature. We're not fatalists. We're not determinists. Yes, their natures were different, but their upbringing and their education was omnifocused. And this is where the Jewish tradition holds our ancestors, holds Yitzchak and Rivka to account. Yes, a child like Yaakov will draw to the wisdom of Avram. Yes, he will draw to the mission and it will call to him. It will be something that taps into his nature. But Avram mission is not just for Yaakov, it was for Esau as well. His tendencies, his characteristics, were there to be moulded as well. Thereby the classic slogan of education from the Jewish perspective of Chanoich Na Al Pidarkoi, bring up your child according, educate your child according to his ways, not just a cliche, 
there's a responsibility embedded in it. It's actually interesting. It's the danger of all cliches that we say it so much and we assume it's obvious, but it's anything but obvious. And the language of Rav Hirsch is that if you bring up two children in one classroom with one set of routines, with one focus, with one way of approaching the Jewish mission, you're going to destroy one of them. So this is Rav Hirsch's first point. The necessity for education to take the individual into account. Something that's so modern and so progressive these days. We're not a cookie-cutter society. Our school approaches individuals who they truly are. And it is an important message, and it is an important development. But it's tragic that this idea wasn't looked at as essential to what it means to be a Jew. Fascinatingly enough, you can walk out of certain Jewish institutions and be convinced that the only way to truly serve God, the only way to really be on the Jewish mission, is to read a book. Not that I'm minimizing that, and of course Talmud Torah is essential, but you could walk away with thinking, well, that is kind of the whole point. I just have to do as much reading and learning as possible, and then I am the ideal Jew. That is a tragic mischaracterization or a perversion of what the Jewish people are here to do. And Rav Hirsch was calling out to that all those years ago, and this wasn't a person who shied away from the importance of learning and Talmud Torah and education in general. One of his primary roles was an educator, but an educator with an appreciation of nuance, an appreciation of the human character and what the Torah was trying to do. Often a defense I've heard is that this is a necessary evil. True, it's not ideal that everybody should fit into one specific framework or we should describe Judaism as being essentially one thing, but it's necessary in today's day and age in order to develop a certain type of person. Now, the answer that Rav Hirsch would give to that individual with such a defense is that not only do you rob people of their Jewish tradition, you disenfranchise them, you chase them away, that is bad enough, but you also undermine and corrupt the Torah and Judaism itself. In portraying Judaism as being one thing, you thereby pollute the message Judaism is giving to the world. It no longer becomes this noble endeavor, this noble goal. It becomes a very bizarre, specific academic endeavor. Yes, with the spiritual trimmings. And once again, Rabshamshan Rafal Hirsch's focus was on Talmud Torah as well. But it was hand in hand with so much else that came along with what it meant to be a Jew and how to be an educator. So Rav Hirsch has pointed out one area, and it's dark because it calls upon me as a parent to take that extreme responsibility. Of course, it's easier to say, well, this one's just different. But right, but that is my failing, my failing of not recognizing this difference and how that manifests in how they need to learn. So that's Rav Hirsch's first point. But Rav Hirsch goes further. So we've recognized or articulated an area of education of how you bring up the children that needs to be focused on. But there's another point that Rav Hirsch really articulates once again in not the lightest way. It's not only the education that goes upon the children, it's who's doing the educating. The Pesukim tell us that Yaakov was loved by Rivka and Esau was loved by Yitzchak. And Rav Hirsch says this is understandable. Two parents see two children and parents have a tendency towards one or another child be it because that child reminds them of something, be it because that child is easier in a certain respect. And Rav Hirsch says this is understandable from the point of view of our 
Avois and in Moes, it makes sense. Avram brought up his son Yitzchak, a certain amount of solitude. We call him an Euler Tamima. He was brought up as an Euler. He was, he was took parked in the Arcada, the most religious experience of the Jewish people. This was a man who had a son who lived out opposite characteristics, characteristics of boldness, of vigor, and there's an attraction there. Hence, Yitzchak loved Esau. And Rivka, who is brought up in a house steeped in immorality, sees her son Yaakov as the ideal personality, representing a way of life that she never experienced at home. Rav Hirsch says, understandable as this may be, it still gives us message that when we look at how we bring up our children, a unified message is essential. A unified message from both parents is essential. And the joining of both parents as a team is essential. And because a child may not be right in line with what you're expecting, understandable as it may be, doesn't mean it's correct. And Rav Hirsch gives a dark metaphor. He says if your child was physically lacking, was ill, was in some way in need of physical support or attention, that would be a calling for a parent to be there so much more for the child. The love would be ready and available for that child. But he asks us if our child is spiritually struggling, morally struggling, why do we step back? Why do we withdraw? Isn't this just a simple calling that your responsibility now is called upon in this area? He describes the relationship to our children as a responsibility. It's not you. You aren't your child. You don't own your child. You don't identify yourself with your child. You have a responsibility for your child. So the same way, if your child was struggling physically, it's obvious that you're supposed to be there for them. If your child is struggling morally, why is it any different? So bringing these two ideas together, we spoke about the necessity of looking at our children as individuals, be it as educators or be it as parents. And it's easy to say this, of course, and I'm talking to myself because I have children who are very different, thank God. And it's not necessarily the easiest experience bringing them up because you're so used to one way of doing it, but then another child rocks up and he's very different. Beautiful, wonderful, a delight, but very different. And we spoke not only is Rav Hirsch giving us a message about how to bring up children, but he's giving us an insight to the Jewish mission. The Jewish mission of to guard the way of God, to do justice and righteousness, that calling that Avram had, is one goal, but with divergent paths. Many paths take us to the same goal, and to not take that into account, you kill what it means to be a Jew. You destroy the mission in the process because you mischaracterize it, you pervert it, all in the name of somehow avoiding responsibility, all in the name of saying, well, it was their nature. Everything we did was right. Their nature was wrong, and they just didn't fit in. Perhaps it means that we have to take that responsibility. The irony is often lost on people. In the name of fulfilling the task of Avram, in how you educate, inadvertently you can destroy that very task you're trying to accomplish. And our second point, it's not only about the education that is being given over to the child and its need to be diverse, but it's also on the ones doing the educating, be it parents, be it teachers. It has to come from a unified voice, from a team. That means communication between parents, communication between parents and teachers in the hope and the desire to bring up their children in the right way. 
This isn't a calling for perfectionism. This is a, just a calling for responsibility. Rav Hirsch is asking us to be responsible to these principles. It doesn't mean we won't mess up. It doesn't mean that we haven't made mistakes. And it doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes in the future. The question is, do we, like the Jewish tradition, take responsibility? Because that's what our sages did when they saw this event happen. When they read this event, they look at it with the lenses of responsibility. We also have to do the same. We look back on what we did and what we can correct and what we can't correct. We change how we move forward. Thank you very much for listening. And once again, I really do appreciate the listen. Um, once again, a quick shout out to the Intentional Jew podcasting network at intentionaljew.com, uh, where you can hear other podcasts and other Jewish ideas that um, they host there. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful Shabbos.